Hello listeners, and welcome to Big Streaming Pile. I am your host, Fiona L.F. Kelly, and today I am joined by another very special guest. Uh, would my guest like to introduce himself? Uh, hey there, uh, my name is Roger Page, and uh, uh, you might have heard me on uh, Fables Around the Table on um, our Visigoths and Mulgoths season, and I play Barak Radomir on that show. Yes, I am, I am very excited to have Roger on the show because Roger is my best buddy. Um, and also I just, I just enjoy talking about movies with Roger. And I thought that this one would be, uh, particularly fun for that. For today, we are doing Scoob, um, with an exclamation point. Very important. Yeah, there is an exclamation point at the end of it, uh, so that you know it's like fun and exciting for the kids. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's fun for the kids. Uh, Roger, what is your relationship to Scooby-Doo? Like, were you like a Scooby-Doo fan growing up? Um, yes, I actually was, um, which is why I was actually pretty excited about watching this new movie, to be honest. I was actually already excited to watch it before you even mentioned that you were gonna look at doing this for Big Streaming Pile. So this was actually pretty, just like, convenient for me. Of course, I burp right in the middle of my sentence because I'm gross. (laughs) <laughs> but um so i was already excited to kind of watch this um i watched a lot of scooby-doo um growing up of course the original series of scooby-doo where are you um but also watched a lot of like the a pup named scooby-doo series oh i love the um, pup named scooby-doo mm-hmm. and a lot of the uh just the, the the movies that ended up being like kind of um you know uh, played on cartoon network all the time we mm-hmm. had a few of them on vhs and all that good stuff growing up so yeah, I'd say a pretty big uh, Scooby-Doo fan growing up. I had a had a stuffed Scooby-Doo as well that I would um, play with a lot as well. So uh, I would say a pretty big uh, Scooby-Doo fan growing up for sure. Yeah, I I don't know why, but whenever I think of a pup named Scooby-Doo, I think I've seen every episode of a pup named Scooby-Doo, but the part that always pops into my head is uh, Shaggy and Scooby have been earlier in the episode they were beaten at some sort of game show that was basically like uh like um what's the one with the letters is that Wheel of Fortune? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have been basically doing Wheel of Fortune. They were up against these like really smart kids, and then later they sort of have a rematch, and it's a five letter word with two Z's in the middle. Um. And the two people are like, there's no five letter word with two Z's. It's a trick question. Or they say something really weird or something. And then Scooby and Shaggy are like, it's pizza. (laughs) And it's like, of course, that's the clue. (laughs) Yep. And uh, yeah, that's that's the part I remember from a a pup named Scooby-Doo. But I did really like that show. (laughs) I actually have more to say about pup named Scooby-Doo later. But um, yeah, I was also a really big Scooby-Doo fan. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I have written... Uh, clickbait for an outlet I think once or twice about Scooby-Doo <laughs> about like weird facts about Scooby-Doo um, so I like it and I was also really excited to watch this movie um, I wasn't sure if it would come to streaming services or not but I did pay like $20 to watch it like the day it came out um, because can't go to movie theater right now and right. otherwise I would have drug tom with me to see this um 
I think that Tom was like glad to get out of this one. Tom misunderstands Scooby Doo in like very strange <laughs> ways. Uh, he tell uh, he he likes to tell me that all of them are the same, like all the episodes, and I'm like that is categorically false because he thinks that every single one is just Scooby Doo. Where are you? Which is a great yeah, show. I think the original series, like Scooby Doo, Where Are You? I would I could see the argument for that is in yeah. that it's very formulaic in that yeah. like the the episodes have the same formula every time um and i think oh yeah no way i mean the show has changed just like a lot over the years i think that like the the show format that got right. copied was the original series of course i mean like that's why we have you know a ton of other yeah. Hanna Barbera shows that are the same format but <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, I, I agree that uh, Scooby-Doo, like, Where Are You, was, you know, Monster of the Week, pretty formulaic, not totally unusual for, like, a cartoon like that of its time. Um, but I think that Scooby-Doo has expanded mm -hmm. into uh, interesting things. And also this, and also Scoob. I have at the top of my notes a starred <laughs> um, timestamp. I do not know what that timestamp is for, but if something happens at four minutes and 40 seconds to six minutes and 17 seconds, tell me what it is. <laughs> I am actually, I'm actually, I'm, I have the movie up right now. I'm going to scrub through it and actually look at that timestamp. You said four minutes yeah, and 40 seconds? Yeah, four minutes seconds? and 40 seconds to six minutes and 17 seconds. I have, I have no idea why I started that. Okay. I am going to watch this with the audio off to see if there's anything that happens at this point in the movie. Hold on, I have to refresh this player. I'm intrigued. I feel like I know what this is based on this time, because I've now watched the movie twice. Okay. I, I feel like um, I feel like I do too, but I wasn't totally sure. This is on it's playing. Yeah, this is this is Scooby getting his name. Yeah, let's just start there since that was like the top of my notes. Um what do you think of of Scooby snacks coming before Scooby? <laughs> yeah, I just I I mean, I was like, really? I mean, I just didn't really, because I know that, and I actually had to go back and, and look at this. Let me actually finish a sentence before I continue speaking. So I had to go back and double check to make sure that I wasn't remembering it wrong. But Scooby's name, at least like up until now, essentially, his real name is Scoobert yeah. Dubert. And uh, so they just call him Scooby. It's like a nickname. But... Uh, and that Scooby Snacks, I don't remember, like, if I'm just forgetting when they introduce it, but I think it's just, it's just a thing that you assume is, like, named yeah. after Scooby, um, in the show, I guess, and that it's like, you know, they're famous because they're a famous, you know, uh, mystery-solving team, and so it makes sense that Scooby would have a snack yeah. named after him or something, is, is pretty much what I rationalized it as, and I think what people have come to understand um, but essentially I was just so caught off guard by the fact that Scooby snacks just exist and Scooby at the onset of this movie has no name whatsoever mm -hmm. and is named after Scooby snacks. Um, 
and and just to avoid getting caught by the police. Yeah, because that's what just, they needed. Um, used yeah. as like a silly joke, but um, <laughs> I just. I, I mean, I was I was not a fan. Um, I wouldn't say if it was like enough for me to like, like, oh, this is such a deal breaker or something. I feel like it's something that fans would get like really up in arms about. Um, I don't know if that's how I feel about it necessarily. I just thought it was a little bit silly to introduce it in that kind of way. Um, kind of retconning right. a little bit, I think. Um, some of the origin stuff, but they make other changes and other things and just inclusions in this movie because they keep it to a mm-hmm. very tight 90 minutes. And I don't know if they used all of the 90 minutes as effectively as they could have, because not only was this to set up like just this singular story of Scooby-Doo, but I didn't know this to be a thing, but it makes sense after watching it the first time. And then my second viewing was painted a lot differently that this movie is supposed to set up a whole cinematic universe. Right. Um, a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe, which sounds made up. Right. It's not made yeah, up. no, it That's is really what it's trying to it do. It is not made up. And yeah. that is 100% what they're trying to do. So um, it makes it makes a lot of the, the decisions that they do make make more sense. Um, but still, I had my own kind of issues with it. Right. Um, That actually leads me to uh, a point that I have sort of like later on in my notes, which was like, who was the audience for this movie, do you think? Because like, as I was watching it, I'm like, okay, this is clearly an origin story. They're setting it up for the other Hanna-Barbera movies for the properties that probably won't be as recognized by like little kids. Um, But it seemed like some points they really wanted to be memed and like gif. Right. and stuff like when he's like dick 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 right rick <laughs> like, rick 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 right yeah i'm like they clear and then immediately shaggy's like oh we're gonna drop some f-bombs and i'm, yeah. I'm usually not like pearl clutching about having the occasional um, adult joke occasional like adult joke mm-hmm. in like a children's thing but like it didn't feel like it was for kids. It felt like it was sort of trying to fly under the radar as a children's property, um, but really being like, those millennials fucking go nuts over some Scooby-Doo, um, which, like, they kind of don't. <laughs> I think that millennials yeah. like Scooby-Doo, but um, the way that this was advertised and, like, what the story was and everything, I'm like... I'm like I'm I'm like watching this sort of struggling to remember who Blue Falcon is, and I think that they think that I have a lot more investment in uh, Hanna Barbera than I actually do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I 100% echo your, I think, confusion initially on who is this, who's supposed to be the audience of this movie, and I think that, um. I think that it tries to do a lot. So I think that one, I think that who I think the primary audience of this movie is probably is going to be millennials. And I think the main reason for that is going to be, it seems to have like a very DreamWorks tone um, in this movie with all of the um, celebrity cameos and the soundtrack selection. Um, right. Because they, they, they don't use current music um anywhere in the movie really they use outcast uh tupac um you know just like 90s to early 2000s music um yeah throughout the and soundtrack even having even having like simon cowell kick things right. off i mean it's 
is he like recognizable to the youths? Like right. I'm not- <laughs> and I'm not, I, I'm not super sure. And I, I think some of it might have been like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge of like, remember the old Scooby Doo episodes where it was like Doris Day or like other celebrities mm-hmm. that weren't really like relevant anymore. And I think that a little bit of that might have been like tongue in cheek and aware. But I, I think there was definitely like, a, we need to make this movie essentially for millennials who now have young children, I think. Um, so it's like a movie that is safe for their kids to watch, but not necessarily for them. Um, ideally it's like, we're trying to appeal to the parents. Um, and I think there's a couple of more things that kind of hint at that, not just like the soundtrack or the jokes or the tone. Um, the fact that it's kind of like DreamWorks inspired and all that kind of stuff. I think Mm -hmm. like a lot of the humor is very much like that. And also it's like the, um, the cutesy, like, uh, minions. What are they called? The, uh, rottens. Oh, the little robot guys. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they're the rottens. They're, they're literally, um, like, uh, Funko figures. Like, they literally yeah, look know. like Funko figures. And they're clearly, like, trying to be the minions of this movie. Um, and they want them to be very cute and very marketable and, you can easily buy a Funko of them because they basically are very simply designed and that kind right. of thing. Um, and so I think, like, that's probably the primary audience. However, there's also this very... Um, the way it was marketed, I think, is is supposed to be, I think, very cutesy, I think, for, like, very young children. Like, it's... I think it's marketed the same way that they marketed, like, Teen Titans Go, basically. Yeah. And, like... I, I, I kind of don't like the move that I think people go to sometimes. I talked about this in the last episode, which I'll see to you very briefly, but like, mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes studios will like bow to pressure from people who have Twitter accounts to like take children's properties and make them for adults like you know like oh yeah like we're you know it's for the kids or whatever Mm -hmm. but we gotta make sure the adult fans like it and i'm like do we and i say that's someone who really does enjoy like children's media like i really like cartoons and like i have a lot of nostalgia for like older stuff but also i am like an adult person and and we need to give like the kids something to be nostalgic about i think right um I mean, hell, if they were going for, like, full nostalgia, they needed, like, the Hex Girls and stuff. Right. Because that, that, that in a lot of ways, I think, is the height of Scooby-Doo. It's when they started moving towards, like, actual paranormal things and they got more interesting characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sort of let people have this really interesting creative vision because it was very low stakes. It was just, like, TV movies that they're probably just going to, like, run over and over and over again. Right. Um, and as long as they stayed within these, like... Like, you know logistical bounds they could sort of like say what they want to do with scooby-doo um yeah and in this one there are much higher stakes because they clearly want to set up like a whole thing that they're expecting to make like buckets of money over right um and to do that you want like of course the older fans to be buying the funko pops and to get really invested and right. to be like oh yeah tracy morgan's in it which i did do because i do like tracy morgan <laughs> um but yeah, it, it's a lot of weird things. It's like, it's trying to be woke in such odd and strange ways. And like, it, mm. it's it's making references that I don't think are like super fitting for Scooby-Doo. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, like, you mean it. like the uh, throwaway joke of toxic masculinity uh, getting thrown yeah. in the movie? Yeah, like that. And like 
Velma being like Ruth Bader Ginsburg for Halloween, which like if it was like just that, I'd be like, okay, that's kind of cute. But like, which also like, when the hell does this movie take place? Like, I, I know, just I couldn't I figure so it out confused. because it started until Shaggy pulled out like an iPod. I was like, okay, this is set in like the eighties or nineties. Right, that's like what it looks like. But then Velma's being Ruth Bader Ginsburg makes no so sense. It had yeah, to, yeah. I truly did not and understand. And the the bullies the bullies are like dressed like insane clown posse. And so I was like, okay. So I'm sitting there trying to like place it and then I, it's hard to tell how much time passes um cuz they do the montage of course, which is like basically shot for shot the intro, which is pretty cool, but it's just hard to tell. Yeah. But go ahead. They specifically say that they're millennials. Yeah. Um so if I had to guess at the beginning, Shaggy is supposed to have an iPod Touch. I don't know if podcasts would have actually been around at that time because he's listening to what, like an Ira Glass podcast or something. Right. Um, but I, I can forgive that. I'm not going to be like a hard ass about it. So I'm going to guess that the beginning is supposed to be somewhere in the early 2000s and then the rest of the movie is supposed to be like now. Mm. But that's just sort of like cobbled together, guess, and like the and the gang is supposed to be like in their mid to late thir- mid to late twenties, not thirties. Yeah, that would be funny. Yeah, and I think that <laughs> I think a, a part of it made a bit more sense. I think for Will Forte's portrayal of Shaggy, which I have my own like issues. I think of how he did Shaggy's voice just overall. Like sometimes it's 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 actually trying to emulate like other Shaggy's um in the past but in other ways it just literally sounds like will forte so it's like it's really inconsistent i don't think any of the other voice actors do anything else like that um like for some reason just themselves yeah like i don't know why but amanda seyfried i don't know maybe it's because i don't know her voice that well but like she did not sound like herself to me i don't know um i i heard it at a couple parts but i had to look it up because i couldn't tell who it was i'm like clearly they stunt casted like everyone um except for scooby who is uh what's his name who always played who played fred in the original and who plays scooby in like every single one now because he's like the only living member of the right of the original cast yeah uh frank welker i did not remember his frank name welker. i literally looked at imdb yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they have Frank Welker, who I think is contractually obligated to be in, like, every single Scooby-Doo thing. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, sometimes he was trying to do, uh, sometimes um, Will Forte was trying to do Casey Kasem, sometimes he was trying to do uh, Matthew Lillard. Mm-hmm. I was, like, really not sure why they didn't just ask Matthew Lillard. Liter- literally makes no sense. Yeah, he's done Shaggy in, I think, every single production until this one, um, dur- like, since he's was shaggy in the live action version i I can see why he did a good job he like nailed the voice i thought um yeah no i think matthew lillard is i mean like i i I think i respect will forte for what he tried to do with this one i think he portrays shaggy as a bit younger than he's been coming off um through matthew lillard like in the live action like i don't know what it is about like how Matthew Lillard does the voice, but it just sounds, like, much older. And it's probably because he's just emulating, like, older voice actors that were doing Shaggy at the time, right? Um, But Will Forte, like, I think actually portrays Shaggy as much younger and much more, like, immature, which kind of makes sense for the story of this movie anyway. But, I mean, like, if they're trying to market to fans, which they clearly are, I really just don't see even the marketing, like, 
idea behind like not having him in there. Um, I get the idea of including Zac Efron as Fred, even though he basically just plays Zac Efron. Uh, yeah. He doesn't do anything yeah. with that he, character. I, I see many iterations of Fred when you're trying to like, because in the original, none of them are really characterized besides mm. Shaggy and Scooby. They right. just all have like looks. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, they yeah. They all yeah. just like look a certain way. Yeah. Um, but... So, like, Fred being sort of, like, the, like, the leading man or the jock or something, I mm-hmm. think is, like, a fine way to, you know, to characterize him and to get Zac Efron to just be Zac Efron because Zac Efron is sort of, like, a Fred Jones type of guy, yeah. you know? Yeah, Zac Efron is definitely, he's been very typecast as a, the himbo, and I think it is mm-hmm. fine for him to play Fred as a himbo in this movie. Um, it is just, I think what I was interested to see is if, were they going to do anything different with that or have Zac Efron do something different? And they don't, you know, they basically just have him play the same himbo that he's been playing, which isn't bad necessarily, just kind of, I I guess different from what I was expecting, I think, or what I was hoping for rather. Right. Um, can I ask you an interesting thing that came up that I think about every time I watch this movie and really with all of Scooby-Doo? Do it. Um, so if you were in charge of Scooby-Doo, like a Scooby-Doo production of some sort, how would you characterize Daphne? Like, what would she be like? What archetype would she fill? Before this movie? Just in general, like with all you know about Scooby-Doo, like, you have basically free reign over production. What would you do with Daphne? Oh, what would I do with her? Okay. Yeah. Um, I would... I think I would make her the... Um, the character with connections. I think that Daphne is, okay. like, the socialite of the mystery crew. Like, um... Mm-hmm. So I think it makes sense, especially like now where we have like reality shows and all of that kind of stuff. Like if I wanted to make something really current, I would say that Daphne is the socialite of the mystery crew. Um, And so I would give her that kind of role. She has a lot of connections. She knows people. um, She's rich um, because that's always been a thing in her backstory, I think. Um, that she's always a little bit wealthier, I think, than everybody else in the crew. Right. Um, And... uh, uh, I mean, like, I mean, her role in the the mysteries kind of varies from, like, mission to mission. But I think she always is kind of portrayed as, like, the girly girl and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I would probably Mm -hmm. modernize it a little bit and make her not so much damsel in distress all the time and just, like, cares about makeup or whatever. Um, But I think I would probably, if I was modernizing it and I was in the the writer's room trying to figure out how do we modernize Daphne as a character, um, I think it's pretty simple of, like, making her, like, an influencer or, like, somebody that's a blogger and does, like, makeup tutorials and, like, she's a self-starter and all of that kind of stuff. I think that's that's pretty much what I would do with her. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that they did, they sort of did that, what's the one, is that Zombie Island with the cat people? I think it's Zombie Island. I think so, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That uh, that's what they did with her. That they made her want to be a journalist, right. and I, I I like Daphne then. Yeah. But um, yeah, Daphne has the constant problem of like, so in the original like Scooby Doo, where are you? She's this damsel in distress. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't really have a character other than being like the pretty one. Like she's not she's not particularly smart or brave or you know like anything like that. She just like usually gets into trouble, and they have to like go save her. Mm-hmm. Um. 
Then in a pup named Scooby-Doo, she's like bratty and rich. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I like how the TV movies characterize her. Um, yeah. In this one, I thought that going the, you know, air quotes like empath route yeah. was extremely weird. Um, yeah. I'm like, I can see that. I, I can see that they want to go like Disney princess, but I also don't really think that that's like better than like making her the damsel in distress like uh, this movie is clearly trying to be really woke about everything and i'm like yeah just being like this girl is basically just snow white and that's sort of like where her character ends is like half of a thought i guess yeah Um, it's like it's like uh it's like after inside out came out every kid's movie needed to be like emotional intelligence is cool and yeah they were like well we need to have a character that's really emotionally intelligent <laughs> yeah and i don't even mind her being like a little bit disney princessy like having a connection to animals or whatever mm-hmm. but what's so weird to me was that they pushed so hard that like we value freddie because he's the leader and he has a car we value velma because she's smart and she figures stuff out and we value daphne because she has really high emotional intelligence and we don't like shaggy and scooby because they have really high emotional intelligence and like to eat. Like, it, it just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Um, especially at the end when they were sort of like, uh, oh, like, you know, I figured out what everyone is. Like, Velma's the brains, Daphne's the empath or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Scooby and Shaggy are the heart. And I'm like, the empath is the heart. Yeah, I thought that was <laughs> like, really you, weird, too. I was like, the empath like, is the can't... heart, though. What are you talking about? I know, I'm like, you can't have the heart twice. Also, Shaggy acted like a massive dill hole this whole movie. What do you mean he's yeah. the heart? Yeah, no, like, I thought that was weird. He's a, guy who, <laughs> he's a guy who really likes his dog. Right. And I think they could have, like, leaned into that, like, you know, oh, like, Shaggy and Scooby are the heart things if they would have kept with the long canon that Shaggy is a vegetarian, which I was upset that they didn't keep. Yeah, that. I thought that was really weird, too. I'm glad that you brought that up, because I was like, I, again, had to look it up, because I was like, I need to know if I'm remembering it wrong, but, like, yeah. it was a big deal that Shaggy was a vegetarian for so long. Like, that's yeah. a kind of core um, part of his character. Yeah, backstory on why that is. Uh, Casey Kasem, while he was recording uh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? He's the original voice of Shaggy. You probably have also still hear him on the radio uh, because they replay his shows all the time. Um, but uh, he became either vegetarian or vegan while he was playing Shaggy. And then uh, he put into his contract that he did not want to have his character portrayed as eating meat because he thought that that was like going against his ethics. And they actually ended up losing like a really big deal with Burger King, I think, because uh, they wanted to have uh, Shaggy like do a Burger King commercial but Casey Kasem wouldn't do it and it was in his contract that no one else could play Shaggy um, so they just ended up losing like a bunch of money and I think they sort of like shoved him out of the show after that point but um, not surprising yeah but but in like later iterations and stuff they sort of like kept that up that Shaggy was a vegetarian because you can eat a lot and also be a vegetarian you can make those right. comically large sandwiches and just not have any meat on them right um I frequently make comically large sandwiches. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I didn't, I didn't understand why they made that change for some reason. Um, and there's like a random, like that throwaway line of like young Shaggy there says like, oh, I know there's no liverwurst. It's not like me to forget the protein. 
And I'm like, I know. And he specifically said that. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'm like, that sounded like very intentional. That sounded like a very intentional line to include in the script where they were like, fuck you guys. Like, Shaggy eats meat, damn it. I know. I thought that they were going to be like, like, bacon is hilarious. Remember how in like 2009, everyone thought that just like bacon was the coolest thing ever. Right. Um, Yeah, it sort of like reeked of that for me. So I'm like, I. That feels weird. That's sort of an aside because I am also a vegetarian. I've, that's always kind of tickled me about Shaggy that he's a that he's a vegetarian. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I, I really think that they didn't deal with the Daphne problem uh, super well in this movie, which is part of why I want to talk about this movie. Right. Um, and part of what made it not super great. Um, yeah. But. Uh, do you have anything else to talk about within like Mystery Inc. specifically that you wanted to hit on before we move on to talking about the larger cinematic universe? Yeah, no, I think we definitely have to talk about Velma. Velma, yeah. Yeah, Velma, Velma was weird in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what to make of Velma. Um, so, like, as we said earlier, she, like, she starts out, they see her, and it's Halloween. Oh, I forgot to say this about Daphne. So, they were clearly all being, um, like, sort of, like, their archetypes as their Halloween costumes. Right. With Shaggy and Scooby, like, foreshadowing that, you know, Blue Falcon would come up earlier. But, like, when we first meet uh, Fred, Velma, Daphne, they're all wearing, like, you know, what what kind of kid they are. Right. Uh, so, so Freddie is a knight, Velma is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Daphne is inexplicably Wonder Woman. Yeah, um, because that's the only female known superhero. For being an yeah, I know. They just, I, I feel like they were just like, well, DC and WB. Yeah, are like, like a you thing, have a deal so with can, yeah DC, so you can yeah. just do it. Yeah. I know, because I'm like, obviously she can't be Snow White, but if they're trying to characterize her, she would have been like, you know, Snow White-esque, like, public domain Snow White, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, Yeah, I thought that was weird. But yeah, Velma was... I, I, I think that they almost, like, nerfed Velma a little bit in this movie because, like, mm. they wanted to give the others, like, stuff to do and they didn't want to just have Velma, like, solve it. Right. So it didn't feel like she was really doing anything other than, like, figuring out extremely far reaches, like, to figure out that Scooby was, like, the last known descendant of Paridas or, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... Yeah, like sure, like she knows how to Google, um, but it it wasn't like a mystery for her to solve, you know. Like right. they didn't put her investigative mind at work. Right. Um, they just sort of said, you know, like oh, she has this like DNA thing that does all the work for her, and then she reads the results and also know knows who uh, Brinus is and explains it to Fred and Daphne. Like, yeah, cool. Thanks, Velma. <laughs> yeah, she she kind of gets sidelined, but I think the the whole mystery crew kind of gets sidelined a bit. I mean, like they get relegated to like a few jokes here and there for the most part. Um, but I thought right, it was they really, really weren't in it that much, right? Like this is definitely the Shaggy and Scooby movie for sure. And then right. for some reason, Blue Falcon. But again, I think that more goes along with them trying to set up a cinematic universe here because I think that's clearly what they're trying to get at with the Blue Falcon. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, is, yeah. that is absolutely what they're doing because they're trying to set up the 
the big uh Falcon team up movie, and I can't remember what the name of the the group is with that he makes, but they set that up at I the don't end. Know. Um, but so um, like I think that it's really weird what they do with Velma, where um Gina Rodriguez is playing her, and I legitimately did not recognize her voice. I mean, I I wasn't really thinking about it at all, but um at no point is it made clear that Velma is Latina or Latinx whichever you prefer um uh at any point in the movie but all of a sudden she says increíble and I was like yeah. uh whoa and, and not like in a bad way or anything I think I was more intrigued than anything that like uh, that this doesn't really like come up or anything like that um or is she's not even portrayed in a way where she's I guess I can even tell that she's a person of color. Um, she is literally portrayed the exact same way that she always is. Like her skin color is very fair. Um, you could maybe right. say that some of it is like a little bit darker based on certain scenes. Um, but honestly, you could say that some of that would just be with lighting. Um, and I also would think it's weird that, uh, I mean, like we could have even like nudged at this a little bit more. I don't know, maybe earlier. I don't. I have my own feelings about like representation in this, and and do you want to make it more apparent that you have this in your movie or not? Um, that she could have even had her costume at the beginning, um, be a Sotomayor, um, or something mm -hmm. that would have been like more in line yeah. with that. You know what I mean? But it, like right. she picks Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which it, no, not a bad choice by any means, but. I don't know. Yeah. It was just like if they put in one line in Spanish, I think was my issue. Um Yeah. And that like that feels like too little. Um I don't know, but what were your thoughts on that, I guess? Yeah, cuz like I I mean obviously with voice actors, um I mean, if they wanted to cast who they cast Gina Rodriguez. Mhm. Mm yeah, like if they wanted to have Gina Rodriguez play a character who is white, because Velma is is usually portrayed as white, um, I I would have been like, cool, like okay. Um, I think that people don't like Gina Rodriguez for whatever reason. I've never seen her show. I don't have any particular opinion on her. Mm -hmm. Um, but then they are like, then it seems like I agree. They wanted to be like, no, Velma's a a woman of color. But then they didn't like do anything else. <laughs> they just like right. like she just and I'm is. Like, I, yeah, and I'm like I'm like they know that we can't see Gina Rodriguez right now, right? Like <laughs> you know, um, I'm like, why don't we? Like it doesn't have to be her whole character, obviously. Right. Because like it would like, be really obviously. racist, like if she's like going around eating tacos and shit, like you know, and, like of course, one hundred percent. But like even in the marketing, like I'm literally looking at a poster right now. She looks white. Like, it's just... Yeah. It's so weird. Like, I just... Yeah, I think that there's ways to skillfully do that, to skillfully show that, like, we are, like, reimagining Velma here. Right. Um, and changing her race, which I'm like, cool, like, do it, awesome. Um, but then, like, do it also. Like, right. you know, actually do that and don't just, like, say you're doing it. Um... Yeah, it was it was weird because I think I even missed that the first time I watched it. I think it wasn't until the second time I watched it that I even noticed. And I was just like, I mean, I, I just, it, it seems weird. Like, I don't know. <sighs> yeah, no, I agree. It, and that kind of, like, goes back to the whole, like, 
they like wanted to be woke, but they were doing it in like really weird ways that I don't think are actually effective. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that like you sort of have to think beyond like let's just take white characters and make them different races. Like, right? You know, you should you should actually be like you know casting um, people of color for like original characters with new stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, this is all Hanna Barbera. It's all really old cartoons, so I'm fine with reimagining and everything. Thing, but like it just it was just sort of confusing like i wasn't really sure what we were supposed to take from that yeah yeah no i mean i totally agree and i just i literally remembered like doing a double take when i was like did she just say increíble i like was she's she's now speaking spanish and then i had to double check to see who was casted and yeah it just i don't know it just sounded so off putting and yeah. just so random so I I have nothing to back this up, but like in my head when I noticed that and you brought it up to me before we started recording, I almost was like, they probably had a lot more. And then someone was like, whoa, we need to like pump the brakes on this. Right. Like she can't use too much Spanish. Like that would make it weird or something. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I I wasn't. I I really didn't know what it was going for. Um, I think that sort of sums up this movie. That it didn't really seem like there was a philosophy. It seemed like there were ideas, mm-hmm. and like none of those ideas really came to fruition in particularly skillful ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Velma being one, Daphne being one, just the whole story and concept of a Hanna Barbera cinematic universe being one. Um, yeah. It was odd. Yeah. Yeah. I just, that was a very odd choice for me. And I remember it was, it was one of the biggest things that stuck out to me on my first watch. And then on my second watch, I tried to go back and like, see if there was any other like kind of hint towards this at all. And it's not, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, and I, I do like, I mean, I am. Uh, one of the things that Fiona and I do um, is that when we watch movies, um, if there's like an interracial relationship or something like that, like we know like if that is a main plot point of the film or anything. And like I have the perspective of like, I think that there needs to be more of just like it's not really a plot point, right? Like I don't want right. I don't want Velma to have a plot point of being latina or anything in the movie of like oh it matters that she's latina but i thought it was also weird that like we got like the other extreme where it's like let's throw in her saying increíble and that's that's it just we get that one word so um right because there's just so much in between like we just say that this character is a person of color Mm -hmm. and like this person is a caricature like this character is a caricature right um there's a lot of in-between space between those two things that you can like, I mean, you can have that be a part of her character and not make it super problematic. I mean, like you had a Latina woman playing her, like, you know, I'm looking at the writers right now. There are no Latina women who were writers on this. Right. Um, uh, As far as I can tell, there were no women who were writers on this, unless I'm like, misunderstanding um people's gender based just on their name which is possible but yeah i i was like this is sort of disappointing um we we should do more like the the film should have just done more with it yeah yeah i mean i i thought so too for sure um but yeah it just was kind of thrown in there i think um 
but I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's like they, they knew that they wanted to make it like a multicultural and all of this kind of thing and, and try to have a very diverse cast or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, it just seemed kind of odd, like just a really, really odd choice, but whatever. Right. Um, do you want to talk now that we're getting towards the end of the episode? Do you want to talk about, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe at large as we understand it through <laughs> this film? Yes. Okay, so if you were, so I actually watched a lot of Hanna-Barbera cartoons growing up. I watched a fair amount. Um, I struggled to remember who Blue Falcon was. I remembered Muttley. I remembered Captain Caveman. Mm -hmm. I got, like, the Messick Mountain reference, Mm -hmm. like, you know, um... But like, especially, especially when they're like, oh, they go on Blue Falcon ship and it's like Blue Falcon. And then Shaggy's like, that's not Blue Falcon. As if we, the audience, were supposed to know that. Right. I'm like, yeah, you really overestimated how much people know who Blue Falcon is. Yeah. No, I mean, I completely agree. And again, I do not claim to be a Hanna-Barbera expert here. But I can claim to be a very average, like, casual fan of Scooby-Doo and Hanna-Barbera shows in general. Like, I watched Jabberjaw. Yeah. Like, I watched, like, a handful of these shows. They had Jabberjaw at the end. I was pretty excited Right, to see yeah, that. yeah. And he, apparently there's he's going to be in the team-up movie, I think, um, or whatever, that they hopefully are going to do. I don't Honestly, I would just love to see it to see what they do with it. Um, not yeah. that I think it's going to be particularly amazing. Right. Um, but I, I just... It, it, intrigued um i think more than anything and uh i definitely was questioning like wait who is blue falcon exactly um and i think that they kind of know that which is why blue falcon is in this movie because they're trying to tie blue falcon with scooby-doo which is a much more recognizable property so they introduce him in this movie but then they also have like the jokes that are also expecting the audience to know who he is. So it's like a weird mm-hmm. you're playing both sides of it kind of thing. Um, yeah. And and it just it came off really weird to me. And and legitimately, I have I still don't really know who Blue Falcon is after watching this right. movie because they I, I really don't either. <laughs> yeah, they kind of just like take the title of Blue Falcon and give us this new character of Brian, which I. Yeah, I was like, is 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 Brian always Blue Falcon? Like, is that the show? Like, I right. really did not. I I didn't know what I was supposed to take from that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. So kind of viewing this through the most successful cinematic universe that takes a bunch of properties, like obviously the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um. I think that what other cinematic universes misunderstands, like the DCU did this, uh, a couple others have done this, is they t- Marvel took Iron Man first pretty deliberately. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a character that people had sort of like known in passing who he was. He had his dedicated fan base in the comics, but they were able to uh, reimagine him in interesting ways and take him in interesting directions for the film. Like, you know, someone could have a really strong artistic vision about Iron Man, someone that, you know, people weren't extremely devoted to and sort of like make a movie without everyone being a pedantic nerd about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I think that they should have done. I think that they just should have done a Blue Falcon movie. And they should have hinted at Scooby-Doo's going to come later. Everyone's hyped for Scooby-Doo because they know who the fuck Scooby-Doo is. Right. Um, 
instead of trying to establish all of this through the lens of Scooby-Doo while also pretty drastically changing Scooby-Doo. Um, mm-hmm. Because Mystery Inc. is best when they're all together, and they weren't together through, what, like 90% of this movie? Right. Um, it was about Shaggy and Scooby having their sort of, like, external adventures, and that also happens because Shaggy and Scooby are, you know, the goofy ones. Like, when you get into ghoul school and stuff like that, they're off on their own. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, those that was really just, like, a story that someone had that they're like, I don't know, just throw Shaggy and Scooby in it. It wasn't, like, expected to be, like, we're going to be, like, super emotionally invested in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and people also, like, they want to see Fred and Daphne and, you know, they want to see Velma. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I wasn't sure why they did that because I'm like, you could have started with someone who had a really good idea for, like, a cool space adventure and taken Blue Falcon and, right. like, Maybe they find, like, Scooby's collar somewhere. Maybe they, like, hear about Mystery Inc. somehow, like, mm-hmm. something like that. Instead of just being, like, Shaggy goes to hell. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, for sure. And I think, honestly, like, you hit the nail on the head, like, 100% about, like, what my biggest um, issue on this movie is. And it's, like, trying to set up of a Hanna-Barbera film universe um in that it it basically pushes the what should be the stars of the movie um to the side to introduce too many new characters um and give right. them and give them too much uh of an introduction and too much it, there's they're completely new characters essentially to the audience like blue falcon is yeah. not established um you're trying to to introduce him um, and so you give him quite a bit of screen time and you also introduce Dee Dee and Dino Mutt, um, in the movie. And it just seems kind of, um, like it, 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 it just really, uh, I think took away some of the excitement that I would have had for seeing the, the, the team all working together, I think, you know? Um, right. and I think that that's what people was, were really looking so for. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, oh, for sure. It, it could. Yeah, I couldn't decide what it was about. Like, you know, is it about Blue Falcon and his adventures or is it about like Shaggy and Scooby mm-hmm. deciding which one of them would be in hell if it came down to it? Because I think that those are two very different stories. Um, right. And I think that it's a very weird start to a cinematic universe. Like yes. to do a false self-sacrifice at the beginning of your like cinematic universe is yeah. extremely weird. Yeah. And, you know... Others have tried, and it hasn't worked for them either, and I don't think that people really get on their feet until they get to those characters who are smaller. Like, I mean, like, yeah. people started getting really into, like, the DC Extended Universe, or the DC, uh, the DCEU, like, when they started going to Shazam and Harley Quinn and these characters where they could, like, tell a simple story have a really strong vision, you know, right. they have a director who can do cool things, a bunch of money to like yeah. make a 90 minute movie and people like it. Yeah. Like that's how you start that sort of thing. You bring in your heavy hitters when you get to the climax. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that they did the same thing that the DC um, universe did, which also Warner Brothers, you know, no surprise here. Same studio yeah. of uh, trying to do 
the big property or the big movie first to prove the um, viability of the cinematic universe and then trying to introduce smaller characters where it should be the other way around of like give the small budget give the small budget to the really like scrappy director that's gonna make this project really pop and then bring in your big budget after that point once you've got that excitement and you've built it in you got that investment um you know instead of doing it the other way around like they could have totally done just a standalone um you know scooby-doo movie that i think would have been fine but when they're trying to introduce this whole like new character of blue falcon which clearly they wanted to introduce for the setup of the team up with which is also why they throw in captain caveman because his scene is 100 percent forced as well like i love tracy morgan but his scene is absolutely pointless in the the grand yeah. scheme of the movie and it's just a waste of five minutes essentially um right. and they they do it just to introduce that character so that you have him for the next movie essentially um so it's really odd i think that they picked t- like this movie to try to force so many things in that they were like you recognize scooby-doo but let's introduce like a lot of new characters but not in a, like, a cool, new, like, get-to-know-this-character kind of way. It's just like, we'll introduce them in the course of one scene, and then there will be a whole movie about them later, so we want you to like them now, but yeah, only based on a cameo, essentially. Right. And, like, Tracy Morgan had, like, legitimately the best performance in the movie. Like, he, like, he really knocked it out of the part. He's great at that kind of character. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the whole time you're like why is this happening like we're focused on other stuff we have this like goofy caveman thing now yeah it's like two-thirds of the way through the movie like it's like at that point they should be speeding up the collection of skulls and they slow down to have this fight right there which makes no sense really because it's like we should be now speeding up to the end of the because we already did a big fight over a skull earlier in the movie at the amusement park which also felt very justice league I don't know why they uh-huh. they made the sky like all one solid color like they did with the red sky in Justice League. But yeah, they have that fight there at the end, which I'm like, again, this should have been a faster kind of scene here of you collect the third skull or you could have even done it off screen, to be honest with you. Um, and just like, oh, he just does it. Um, but yeah, it was just weird that they slowed down for that just to introduce him, essentially. Yeah, and I like really don't get why someone... Besides money, why why someone really wanted to do a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe? Because, like, Hanna-Barbera is so, like, just in terms of power levels of the characters, it's all over the place. Like, you have Captain Caveman and the Flintstones, who are, like, mm-hmm. you know, in, like, fucking prehistoric times. And yeah. uh, you have some people who are in space, and some people who have giant talking animals. And you have, like, Mystery Inc., who, when they're at their best, are, like very very low level like they're in a haunted house running around in like a right. small town like right you know now you're throwing them into like intergalactic adventures i'm like that's not what they're doing like they're a group of teenagers or 20 somethings depending on who's writing it and they're right. like fucking around in a van and solving mysteries and that's like what makes them fun is like yeah. you can sort of like imagine yourself in their shoes like mm-hmm. you know like oh my gosh my friends and i could totally get a dog and like run around a haunted house and have a great time and like mm-hmm. you know be those like meddling kids or whatever yeah uh, but as soon as you start like as when you start with that broken up and then put them in this like really weird situation where like also there's aliens now mm-hmm. um 
it just makes it a lot harder to swallow and I think also makes it lose something that makes people connect to Scooby-Doo. Yeah, no, for sure. I 100% agree with that, that it is like not very grounded feeling, I think is how this movie kind of comes off of just like it's it's like two very different stories tried to force themselves together Um, and that they were trying to tell like a very like um, contained story of the mystery crew after years of like having the group together like Shaggy and Scooby question their role in the team um you know what i mean like and then they also want to introduce blue falcon and have like set up this whole thing there and have him do a whole side story which just ends up being they try to draw thematic like connections to it but it's just like again the whole point of the scooby-doo movies is supposed to be about the mystery crew um not about blue falcon not about dino mutt not about uh (laughs) you know whatever they're trying to set up for the viability of their film franchise yeah part of the appealing thing to me anyway about scooby-doo was that like you could sort of imagine yourself with them be like Mm -hmm. oh man i could totally get this like cool ass van or whatever yeah and like i don't know like it's almost like kids especially um I think I'm basing this on nothing, but besides like what my own head was like watching these cartoons growing up, but like I imagine sort of different scenarios. Um, it all sort of like comes from the what if, but like when you watch cartoons, you like engage with it in different ways. Like it's like, what you know, what if I had magic? What if I could go to space? Are very different from like, what if I had a van? You know, <laughs> right, um, right, yeah, for sure, and and. Those relationships are so important to the to the um, to the series and to like the franchise because mm-hmm. like um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, because like in the movie we start out like you know Shaggy and Scooby get together, whatever. Um, he's like never take off the collar, so you know it's like the Chekhov's gun. It's the Chekhov's Scooby Doo collar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he meets uh. Fred, Daphne, and Velma, and then we skip forward in time to them breaking up. (laughs) Right. We don't, we really don't get them, like, being friends at all, except for a Scooby-Doo, where are you, like, And we also don't, we also don't even get, like, a real scene that causes the breakup. We just have Simon Cowell telling them of, like, you guys are stupid, and they're like, we're gonna leave. And I'm like, wait, why would they like get super mad at the rest of the team over what the fuck Simon Cowell I really says? Get, yeah, I really didn't get that because the team wasn't like agreeing. The team didn't even like encourage it right. at all. Like as soon as Simon said it, like Scooby and Shaggy left. He didn't even give everyone a chance to react because if they were sort of like sheepishly looking away like oh yeah you're right we think that too then like yeah shaggy should absolutely be mad right but this random person that they're like hey let's see what he has to say comes and acts like a total asshole and all of his friends were like wow that was super weird and then shaggy like storms off never to be seen again and that also undercuts how they made Daphne the empath of the group, like mm-hmm. the kind-hearted one. Because right. if she like is supposed to be this, if like the audience is supposed to be like, yeah, I guess Daphne was kind of a dick, huh? Then that means she's not the empath, <laughs> right? Like, it, I think that's one of those things where like it would have made much more sense if like 
first off, that break in the crew should have happened later in the movie, but they didn't because they needed to introduce Blue Falcon and all of that. So that's why they did the bowling yeah. alley scene and all of that. But I, I think that it would have made much more sense for this to come about via like Shaggy and Scooby fucking up. Which, I mean, there's a ton of right. examples of it. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. how many mysteries do they they fuck something up um, by inadvertently doing something or going in the kitchen somewhere and ruining something or whatever it is, right? Because right. that's their whole thing. Right. Is that they, like, stumble into success. And like, I'm like, they, they, should do th- they should do something wrong and Fred or Velma gets mad at them and they're like... You guys are always ruining everything, like, you know, and then they have a big fight, and then they question their role in the team and all that kind of stuff. Like, that makes more sense to me than, why the hell is Simon Cowell the one that's here to tell you, like, what you guys need? And also, it just didn't make sense either of just, like, we need investors. Like, what? You need investors for what? Like, I just... <laughs> and Simon Cowell? Like, it's just... Is is really yeah. weird. Like they just kind of <laughs> throw that in there at the beginning, but they really needed to rush to get to that conflict right at the start of the movie. Like this is ten minutes in, and like yeah. they're like, we need to split up the crew so that way we can introduce a bunch of fucking characters. Um, is pretty much like the the screenplay of this movie. They were like, yeah, let's just break up the crew immediately. Yeah. The other thing that I find just so weird about this is that like. Um, until something like 2000, 2002, when you get Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, Scooby-Doo was specifically very devoid of the supernatural. That was like sort mm-hmm. of the point is that it was it was always someone trying to do something for like. It's always somebody in a costume. Means. It's always, it a, always rational a guy in a explanation to something. Yeah, and that's part of, like, what makes Velma really interesting. Um, It's part of what makes the stakes super low when, like, Daphne gets caught or, like, when, um, or, like, you know, just, like, why someone is letting teenagers, like, roll around in a van from town to town mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, So I don't think it's, it's necessarily wrong to have it be a- actually supernatural because, like, we do see that in some more modern Scooby-Doo stuff. But also, like, it becomes sort of the point. It becomes the point that the supernatural was, in fact, real. Like, mm-hmm. we don't just take this at face value. Um, it's something, like, very extraordinary and something very unusual that fundamentally changes the characters. Yeah. So I think that you, like, it It makes it not feel like Scooby-Doo right. when you present it on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, Hanna-Barbera has done crossovers for stuff, um, like... The fucking Flintstones and the Jetsons have crossed over a couple times, I think. But, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. there's extraordinary things in the Flintstones and the Jetsons in ways that there is not in Scooby-Doo. Right. Um, so, I think that it's it's just such an odd choice to even have. Like, I wish that they would have just made a Scooby-Doo movie or made a yeah. Barry universe, like without scooby-doo yeah yeah no i think there's the bones of like there's the bones of two decent animated films here it's just they combined like two and made like a kind of not so good one um but like this could have been a pretty good scooby-doo standalone movie um and this also could have been a pretty good uh blue falcon movie um of just introducing this new character or something like that and like you can include dick dastardly or other kind of Hanna-Barbera characters in a Blue Falcon movie, for sure. Uh, Introduce Captain Caveman, do the Captain Caveman scene, um, do all of that stuff, but you cannot have the mystery um, machine crew be a part of that story. 
uh, I 100% agree that, like, their stakes have to be much lower um, in their movie, and you can have, like, something get introduced there like that, but um, especially since they, I think what also makes this movie feel weird is that they kind of do an origin of the Scooby-Doo team, but not really, because they spend the first yeah. 10 minutes doing them as children and then giving us the the how Scooby got his name thing. If they didn't include that yeah. scene, I don't know if I would feel that the same way I feel about this movie in general. But I think that's very important that that first 10 minutes um, kind of sets the tone of like, this is the origin of the Scooby-Doo team. And then we don't get them. We It kind of right. just changes course yeah, really hard. Just, I, I think that like a common mistake with these sorts of things with with taking either from a franchise or like trying to start a cinematic universe or something like people really overestimate how much audiences want origin stories yeah um especially with scooby-doo like with your absolute like heavy hitters this is why we're doing the extent the extended universe or like the cinematic universe or whatever Mm -hmm. um People know the origin. Uh, right. In comic books, it's like almost a challenge. Like when you have Superman and you have someone new writing it, usually just a couple panels is explaining that he's from Krypton. Krypton blew up. He ended up in Kansas. He was raised by Ma and Pa Kent. Like, you're done. You don't need to explain it because everyone knows. Right. Um, even in Action Comics number one, Superman's whole origin took one page. It was just the first page and then they right. got into the actual story because you don't need that many details. You don't mm-hmm. need to explain why Scooby is called Scooby. You don't need to explain. And give it a stupid Scooby explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You don't need to explain that Scooby Stacks came before Scooby. People will just take these things at face right. value and accept them. Like, you can be like, these are my friends who I hunt, uh, who I like, you know, solve mysteries with. You can tell that from our dialogue in the first 10 minutes of this movie. Right. Um, isn't that fun? Yeah. I'm fighting with my dog for some reason because I told him to take his collar off and I got mad that he did it. Shaggy is a gaslighter. Yeah, no, Shaggy absolutely <laughs> like, and that's something that I thought was kind of stupid, was that Shaggy gets mad at Scooby for the same thing that he gets mad at the rest of the crew for for saying that he's not important and i'm like (sighs) shaggy i mean like why does this even matter it makes him incredibly unsympathetic (laughs) and then having the whole ending be that friendship is magic again shouldn't that be how the empath ended up that she's learning (laughs) that friendship is magic right but like the friendship is magic ending is so so fraught so fraught with so many things yeah. um one of which is that if not done correctly it can completely undercut your entire movie and i think that it's it here i think that like there was no reason to include a sacrifice in the first place right um because like and also like you just immediately just no know how yeah there's no stakes in it you know this is the first yeah. movie of this you, thing you know it's so absurd it's so absurd like, yeah to think there's that, no like, stakes. they would keep shaggy in hell yeah like it's it's way too absurd to even like take that seriously right like, like we've like, spent the entire film with shaggy like there is no way you are killing this character and i mean like it's scooby-doo we all know that this is the most profitable like like a franchise you have out of the Hanna-Barbera universe so it's like there's no way we know it's preposterous and like yeah you could maybe say like it's a kids movie or whatever like like they need to tell the story of just like it just 
I think it's just like, but, like it, we know that the audience need a sacrifice, right? Why did we need that, or or at least that kind of sacrifice? Like, right. why did we need that? Like, I feel like an appropriately stacked like false sacrifice is like Fred losing the mystery machine, and then you see later that like Correct. Blue Falcon makes him a new one. Yes, that I is think an that, appropriate that one hundred percent. I think we already did the sacrifice to that movie of oh shit, they lost the mystery machine. Like, do we know what's going to come back? Yes, but you can't sacrifice one of these characters, right? Um, I know. And I think we- it also is one of those things that I, I I liked that bit actually. I thought the the whole thing of Fred's super attached to the mystery machine and losing yeah, it, was it was like earth shattering to him. I thought that was cute yeah. and hilarious. Like I was just like, yeah, no, we should definitely get more of like himbo Zach Efron moping about losing the mystery machine. Yeah, that that was cute. And like, you know, if he gets it back, it's just sort of like a funny thing. Like mm-hmm. we get to see Fred react in a funny way. Uh, when you have self-sacrifices that don't actually mean anything, especially when they come at like the mortal peril of a character, right. I'm like, well, like, what did we learn? Like, what did we gain? Mm-hmm. Um, like... I don't know. I have major problems with them. And, right. You know, I, and it's like, I, we have I to love each other because we both matter. Like, we matter together. Our connection as friends is what matters. So we should forgive each other. I, I sang the praises of the Marvel Cinematic Universe earlier, but I'm going to unsing them for the false self-sacrifice because fucking every Marvel movie is, like, riddled with them, especially at the beginning, and I find it incredibly annoying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. But, but do you want to uh wrap up our discussion here since we're getting uh past an hour? I don't know if it'll be past an hour in the editing, but probably close. Uh yeah, I think um I think that pretty much covered all the main things that I really wanted to talk about, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it did for me too. Um, yeah. I uh do you think people should watch the movie? the the ultimate question yeah so um i would say it depends on your investment level in scooby-doo um you know i think i think that if you are if you're a scooby-doo fan i mean like yes i have i spent a good portion of this telling you reasons as to why they kind of take away from scooby-doo and the gang story um they do but it is still fun, I think, to see Shaggy and Scooby in some of these scenes. Um, I don't think every scene in this movie works. Uh, I think it could have actually been a little bit longer um, in that. that It was like 90 minutes almost exactly, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And then they're trying to do a lot of like introduction of different things. But I would have liked to see more of the mystery crew probably like at the beginning. Or just change the first 10 minutes to be something else. Just age them up and start from there. Right. Um, so, but overall, I would say it depends on kind of your investment level in, in Scooby-Doo of, do I think it works as just like a kid's movie in and of itself? If you are completely removed from everything else going on? Yeah, this is basically like going to hit the same bells and whistles, a Despicable Me hits, um, that a Trolls movie hits, those kinds of things that it's totally fine in that kind of way. But I think that for people that have watched like the live action Scooby-Doo's, which I think a lot of people who watch this would, um, a lot of the millennials who watch this movie would, they have seen those early 2000s live action Scooby-Doo's. Um, it's going to be kind of a frustrating movie, I think for you. 
Yeah, because I mean, even the live action Scooby Doo's like live action Scooby Doo's had a lot of fun with it mm-hmm. and had a vision in a way that I think this movie did not. Um, if you have a kid, especially if that kid is already really into Scooby Doo, show him this movie. I, if your kid doesn't have any interest in seeing Scoob, don't like push it on them. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I I don't know. It's sort of like a middle of the road kids movie. Mm-hmm. Um, as for adults, if you want some like some light Hanna Barbera nostalgia and to see a pretty good Tracy Morgan performance. Yeah, watch this movie. <laughs> it's definitely not the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, it's not the worst thing I've ever spent twenty dollars on, even. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought overall it was pretty decent. Honestly, like even though we've yeah, gone into detail on different things we didn't appreciate about it, overall I thought yeah. it was decent. You know. Yeah, that's that's the point of this show though. We're sort of like going in on movies, but like I I, I try not to pick movies that I don't find enjoyable in some way. Mm-hmm. Um I, I definitely don't think that this was like unbearable to watch. I don't think that a lot of the movies we show are like unbearable to watch, but yeah. Go watch it. Watch it if you want. I'm gonna say watch it if you want. I'm gonna go a little bit harder than you watch it if you want. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Okay, is there anything else, Roger, that you want to say? Um, I just wanted to say um, Ken Jeong is a very uh, unrecognizable voice in this movie as Dino Mutt, and I was actually shook when I saw that he was <laughs> on here. Yeah, yeah. Because he does so many like cartoony like voices, and he didn't do any of them for this movie. He just nope. went with his regular voice. He, yep. was, he was pretty stoic. Yeah, I was yeah. just I was very much surprised by that. Um and uh, just um, yeah. Overall, I mean, I'm ready. I'm ready for Jabberjaw to be in the team up movie with Captain Caveman and Blue Falcon, and I'm I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Let's get the Justice League style Hanna Barbera movie. Yeah, I want yeah. it. I'm excited. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm. De- I'm definitely excited to see what comes. I may. I may revise my watch it if you want. If the next movie is better, and you like have to see this movie to see that movie. Yeah. Um. But by the time this airs, it will be Tom's birthday. Our host, who is not on this episode because he didn't want to watch the movie. Happy birthday, Tom! So, happy birthday, Tom! Um. Coming up in two weeks, we have Star Girl, which is a Disney Plus movie and also a book. Um, after that, we are doing our Christmas special, uh, Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas. Um, are you on that one, Roger? Uh, I would love to be on that one. Okay, you're on that one. I, I've decided. Nice. <laughs> Um, and then after that, we have uh, some Jurassic Park movies, some Seuss movies, and ending our season with the seminal classic, The Last Airbender. Um, Tom is really not excited to watch that. I one, also but... just watched The Last Airbender over this past weekend. And, ugh, I do not, I do not envy you. Yeah, um, it's. It's not good. I saw I've seen that movie one time. I saw it in theaters. Um, I had not seen Avatar yet, like the show, but all my friends did and really liked it. It was like I think uh it was the summer that we had finished high school. We were going to be starting college in a couple weeks, so we all went to the movies and um I had them leaning over to me the whole time being like, The show isn't like this. The show's a lot better than this. <laughs> It was pretty bad. 
Um, and now I have seen Avatar, so I will be able to give a more reasoned opinion on everything. Um, but yeah, those are what we have coming up. Uh, this is a Project Derailed podcast, as I'm sure a lot of you know already. Uh, Roger is from season two of Fables Around the Table, uh, Tainted Love, which I was also on. We both played the Visigoths, and uh, we had a really fun time with it. It was really cool. Um, Fables Around the Table... Well, we ju- we just wrapped recording uh, Tainted Love, but by, but by the time this comes out, I think we will be on uh, season four of Fables Around the Table, which I think is going to be next season. I don't know. I'll edit when I get closer to. Um, you can also hear me on the Project Derailed podcast, Tales of the Voidfarer. It's a Spelljammer-inspired 5th edition actual play podcast, um, and I play a Githyanki pirate named Ravnus, and it's really, really fun. Um, you can also read articles and all sorts of other good stuff on projectderailed.com and find all of our podcasts and uh, all of our projects and everything that we do. Um, anything you want to plug, Roger? Uh, just check out Fables Around the Table, the season that I'm on, uh, Visigoths and Mongoths, um, and follow my dog on Instagram. Uh, it's Tiny Moon Bork. That's my, Tiny that's Moon my Bork. dog Luna's Instagram. She's very cute. Aww, yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Introducing Tales of the Voidfarer. Join the spacefaring adventures of a group of misfits in this D&D 5th edition podcast inspired by the 2nd edition setting, Spelljammer. My name's Marco Astorio. My character is a Gith Yankee. My character is a Doar. Adorable little penguin people. You're Ravnus, right? Yes, and you are. It's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Luckby Cumble. My name is Captain Valeria Rain, and welcome aboard the Voidfarer. Luckbeak, Ravnus, come on! <laughs> There's so much to see over here! Catch new episodes of Tales of the Voidfarer every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast fix. <laughs> that's funny. Wait, did you just hmm? say that's funny and not laugh, Ravnus? We really have to work on your social skills. <laughs> so, we're playing this game called Microscope. Industrial technology emerges as a new force, wiping away the old values of emotion, intuition, and magic. Alien influence. Dragons in the yes column. Uh, I would like to yes soulmates. It is an event during the Dragon Wars called the Purge of Worms. I get the impression that you are unpersuaded by my words. Perhaps my actions would be more... Suddenly her eyes snap open... It's so hard to see anything through these tears. I am the Forge. The uh, head guard screams. So I'm gonna be bold. We're trying to end a war here, not make toys for your kids. Oh, don't worry, Chickadee, I got this. That sounds almost like something we'd make up in stories from long ago. projectderailed.com